Hey guys, this is the New Heights Church Podcast, and we just want to welcome you and thank you for joining us today. We hope this message inspires and encourages you. Here at New Heights, we exist to love people and point them to Christ. Enjoy today's service. Amen. Praise the Lord. Listen, if you're watching online, I just want to take a minute and say thank you for doing so. It means the world to us that you would take time out of your day and be with us in service. This is a live service right now, but many people watch the replay throughout the week as well. I did want to extend an invitation though on behalf of me, my family, and everybody here. If you're ever in Texas in the Bryan College Station area, why don't you come out to a New Heights Church service live? I promise we will make you feel right at home in Jesus' name. All right, open your Bible to... Romans chapter 10, Romans chapter 10, Romans chapter number 10. This is going to be the last installment of our current sermon series called Silence the Cynics. If you've missed any of the recent messages, make sure and go check them out because you can get free in your mind. You can get free in your heart. You can get free from the cynical thoughts that have been plaguing you uh, for the last Uh, X amount of years of your life. Everything about this series, though, started in in January of of this year. I didn't start the series then, but that's when the Lord really spoke to me. And it came in the form of a question. And the question was this. What would your life look like if you lived for real without regard to what people think about you? Like, how free would you really be If you were not plagued with those cynical and insecure thoughts that seem to boomerang in our life because the first marriage didn't work out, because the business didn't work out, because you lost your job, because you didn't finish your degree, because you didn't get your diploma, because your your mom said this to you too many times when you were a kid. Your dad said this to you. An uncle did that to you. What What would your life look like if you were literally free from being controlled, manipulated, or even affected by what other people think about you? Not in a rude way, like... Like you can say this in the wrong context. I don't care what people think about me. Rawr. And you can just be a jerk all day long. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about what would it be if you were free from all of the hesitation that is generated by worrying what somebody else thought about you? How free would your life actually get? And, and I, in this moment of, 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 impartation and inclination and a nudging from the Lord. I, I said, I said, well, I guess, you know, I guess I'd be free. I guess I'd be more free. And the reason our stage has stuff from a kitchen on it is because the Lord began to kind of open things up to me. And as this, as this happened, it kind of happened over a two week period. And I told Crystal, I said, I'm not changing one thing in my life until I can digest this. Because it's very heavy to me. It, it, it literally has changed my life as much as a sunrise changes the horizon. But we have this, this kitchen set up because I, I was in this kind of moment of, of, of deep 
really ear to the ground trying to hear from the Lord. And I felt the Lord say this to me because I don't know about you, but the Lord speaks to me in terms that I can understand. Aren't you thankful that God speaks to us in terms that we can understand? He said to me, he said, if you got a cake and that cake is supposed to bake for 45 minutes, if you pull the cake out after 10 minutes, can you judge the cake? And I thought, well, I'll sure eat cake batter, praise the Lord. I said, no, you can't judge it. The Lord said, why not? I said, well, it's not done. He said, well, neither are you. Why are you letting anybody judge something that's incomplete? I said, I said, whoa. I said, well, I said, I guess that, that's kind of a thought. Then I, then I heard him say this. He said, when will you be done? And the thing is, you can't just answer the Lord any old way you want to because he doesn't ask you a question he doesn't know the answer to. <laughs> but oftentimes he asks you a question to know if you know the answer or to know if you will be honest. So when the Lord asks a question in your spirit, he's most of the time wanting to hear from his word because it is his word that won't return empty to him. So he said to me, well, when will you be done? And I thought immediately, well, no man knows the day nor the hour. That means only God knows. That means only God in the grand sense can judge me. When you get that kind of a concept, not only now is somebody's opinion of you uh, less important, it is absolutely uh, um, powerless or lifeless against you because they don't even know when you will be complete. If you pull a cake out 10 minutes in that's supposed to bake 45 minutes, only a fool would decide to judge the, the content and the texture of that cake. And the chef would be sitting over there going, stop judging what is not finished. This conversation goes on for a couple of weeks in, in my prayer life. And as I'm studying and as I'm meditating and as I'm, I'm contemplating the things of God, and it's, it's all rolling around. And the Lord said to me, he said, he said, would it bother you? If your children came to you with their head down and said, Daddy, I'm not worthy to be in your presence. I said, oh my gosh, it would break my heart. He said, how do you think I feel? Why do you think I told my children to come to me boldly? See, it wasn't your good deeds, acts, or successes that got you in the family of God. It was a new birth that put you in the family of God. I began to get a picture of a refrigerator with, with finger paint on it. And I thought, what's that? He said, my children are hanging their head when they come to me, and I'm just mesmerized by their finger paint. See, my baby, Trinity, she painted this one right here, actually in a service not too long ago. And this was where she was mixing the colors to get the color she wanted because she didn't have the color she wanted. This is her name. This is New Heights Church. This is not, well, this is me, okay? I don't know how it is, and I don't know why I'm wearing a red dress, but that's me, praise the Lord. She said, this is a communion cup. So she she did it, But but here's the thing. Her painting belongs on my refrigerator, not because it's better than your child, but because she was born in my house. 
It was not your acts or your lack of failure that got you into the family of God. It was a birthright. It was a new birth. It was something that only could be given to you. When Crystal had our three children, I didn't look at any of them in the hospital room and say, hello, little baby. Why don't you tell me your name? The reason I did not ask them their name is because the one who makes a thing gets to name the thing. So when he looks at you, he doesn't call you by what you were. He calls you what he knows you to be, which is a son and a daughter of the most high God. So all this comes into play from a concept of knowing you're not coming into the throne on your best day. Like go like one week without cussing anybody out in traffic. How many of you, so, so let's talk about our feelings for just a second. When you are doing right more often, you feel better. Yes? yes. When you do wrong, you feel worse. Yes? yes. That's the conviction of the Holy Ghost. That's a very good thing. It's, it's like the bumpers when you're bowling with bumpers. It keeps you out of the gutters. He'll just nudge you back with a little conviction. And don't ignore the conviction because what happens when you ignore the conviction is anything where you feel something but you don't respond to it eventually will develop a callus in that area and you will no longer feel what used to make you sensitive. And now you used to be kind to people who were less than or had less than you right now. Uh, but now you are callous to it because you have ignored the conviction of the Holy Spirit for too long. And it ends up changing and, and shaping your heart and changing a heart that is malleable by God's hand into a stony heart that God can't use. So what happens is we've got to get back to the place where the convicting nature of God begins to navigate us as opposed to ignoring it. Because here's the thing. When you're doing right, you quote unquote feel better. When you're doing wrong, you feel you feel worse. And when you sin 100%, you have to repent from that thing. But repent does not mean apologize. Nothing wrong with saying that. Lord, I'm sorry. Nothing wrong with it. But repent does not just mean to say I'm sorry. Repent means that I am going one direction. And when I repent, I turn and I am going the other direction. You can listen. If, if, if you're struggling with drugs and alcohol and, and every time that, that it gets to be about nine o'clock at night, you get in your car and you drive down to the bar, you can apologize to your blue in the face. You're going to have to repent from some stuff. You're going to have to turn from some stuff to get free. You can't just sit there and go, oh, I'm sorry I did it again. No, God is looking for you to take a turn away from what has been affecting you adversely. Does this make sense? So what happens is uh, we get to a place where, where as we begin to repent from something, now all of a sudden God begins to equip us to have victory in that area. You stop being rude to your family, peace will hit your house. You stop popping off to your kids, your kids will stop popping off to you. Man, this is too much for a Sunday morning, I can tell. So what happens is, is we get to the place where literally God is saying, listen, it was not your good deeds that got you in here. It will not be, it will not be your good deeds that keep you in here. 
So there's two lies that'll happen. The first lie is this. When you, when you do something wrong, oh, I'm out of the family of God. The devil is a liar. The Bible says you have been made righteous by the blood of Christ Jesus. You are now the righteousness of God in Christ. Then the scripture said, the righteous will fall seven times. But then he gave great news. He said, but you'll get back up. So what happens is when you're going through life, the first lie is when you mess up, God's booting you out of the family. He's not like that at all. You mess up, he leaves all the sheep that are still in the pen to go find you. The second lie is when you're doing good, you start feeling, oh, look at me, super Christian. And all of a sudden, you can start looking at the speck in everybody else's eye and have no idea you've got a log sticking out of yours. Do you see how freeing this can be when you decide to stop letting people judge you in your own mind and letting those thoughts judge you? Because the next step for you is not to just not be judged. It's to stop judging people. Because if you're a half-baked cake and incomplete, so is your neighbor. All of a sudden, you can actually forgive people because you're looking at an unfinished product. Everything begins to shift in your life and you actually begin to get a level of freedom that most people talk about, but they never actually experience. They've heard about it, but they never actually seen it. I've hit a level of freedom in this that it's, it's difficult for me to put in words and context, which is, which is, that's not the norm for me. I'm a preacher. Words are what I do. But the level of freedom that will apply to your life when you decide to silence those cynical thoughts and just love people anyway. To silence those cynical thoughts and stop letting what somebody may, oh, they didn't invite me. Who cares? They missed out. Oh, I, I was I was perfectly positioned for that promotion. How come they didn't give it to me? Who cares? They missed out. God's going to cause all things to work together for your good because you love God and he's called you according to his purpose. Things begin to shift and you actually get free. Somebody say free. So the scripture says in Romans 10, 9, it says this. If you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus... And if you'll believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Somebody say saved. The way to be saved is to confess and believe. Somebody say confess and believe. You got to confess and believe. You can confess one thing and not believe it and it's not happening. You can believe one thing and confess something else that's not going to happen. You got to put them in congruence. So what happens when it comes to silencing the cynics, we've all said this. Everyone in the room has said this at some point. I don't care what people think about me. That means you're halfway there. You have to stop just saying it and actually start believing it. Now the challenge is children will believe anything. Adults need convincing. That's why I'm taking so much time to explain this from a concept of only one is actually authorized to judge you, which means everybody else's opinion of you is unauthorized. 
Would you let a plumber give you a traffic ticket? That's because they're unauthorized. Would, would, would you let a librarian pull you over and give you, give you a speeding ticket? No, not because librarians aren't wonderful. It's because they are not authorized to operate in that capacity. See, what happens is we're letting unauthorized opinions, decisions, and thoughts uh, uh, mesmerize us and catch our attention. And God's up there staring at our finger paint going, I'm so proud of my children. I'm going to spend eternity with them. It's going to be wonderful. And we've got all these thoughts going on in their head that are totally unauthorized. And we come in there and we go, oh, God, you know, I'm not worthy to be in your presence. And he's looking at you saying, what are you talking about not worthy to be in my presence? I gave my son own life so you could be in my presence that's why I said come boldly in if one of your kids came to you and said oh I'm not mom dad I shouldn't be around you oh I just know what you'd say are you crazy get yourself in here everything I have is yours you're an heir and a joint heir with your brothers and sisters Everything I own belongs to you. Everything I do is for you. Everything I do is to set you on my shoulders and propel you into the destiny that God has for you. Don't you ever walk in my presence and act like you don't belong with me. Oh, but dad, I did this. I know you did this, but I forgave you before you even looked my way. Why? You were born in my house. When you are a Christian... You are born again into the family of God. You are not what you were. You are not what you used to be. You may still have the same clothes in your closet, but everything skin, everything inside of your skin is different. The blood that that flows through your veins is the same DNA as Jesus Christ himself. You have been washed spotless in God's eyes. And when you begin to get that picture, not only do you start to think different, you start to walk different. You start to feel like, well, I would have done that, but I can't picture a child of God doing that nonsense, so I'm not doing it. And now what used to be a struggle for you because you felt less than and you felt like, you know what, I'm just, I'm just an old sinner anyway. What's another sin added to the pile? You're not just an old sinner. You're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He has washed you. Somebody say washed. He has washed you. He has changed you. He has saved you. The scripture continues here. It says with the heart, verse 10. Man believes unto righteousness. Isn't that funny? It doesn't say with your actions, you are righteous. It says with your heart, you believe unto righteousness. The Bible says that Abram, who became Abraham, was counted righteous because he simply believed what God said about him. A thousand good deeds wouldn't get you one inch closer to heaven without the blood of Jesus. A thousand times doing something right would not separate your sin from you. But he said, if you'll believe in your heart unto righteousness. Then he said, confession is made to salvation. That means you put your believing in congruence with your confession, 
with what comes out of your mouth. You say, well, I don't know. If there wasn't bad luck, I wouldn't have luck. I just want you to look in the mirror and look at that thing between your chin and your nose and know it is the most dangerous and powerful thing in your life. The Bible says life and death is in the power of your tongue. When your children do well, they ought to be lifted up. When your children struggle, don't you ever speak death over your children. Don't you ever make them feel less than. There is a world out there, and if you're over 13, you already know this. There is a world out there that will fight you till you die to make you feel less than. Parents ought not make their kids feel less than. Well, you don't know what they did. I don't know what they did. But I know what I did. And I know God still forgave me. Wasn't as bad as some of the stuff my dad did. But I did some stuff. (laughs) Somebody say, believe Believe. and confess. See, what happens is, is you stop paying attention to the unauthorized opinions because really there's only one authorized opinion. There's only one signature that has any bearing on your life. There's only one entity that when he signs off on you, nothing can negate it. It was not your good deeds that got you into this kingdom. It was not your good thoughts that got you into the body of Christ. It was simply a birthright. So with regards to my little baby girl who's now seven. If you ask me why I love her. I would not start telling you about her accolades. I loved her. Before I met her. I love her because she is born unto me. That's why Jesus made this whole thing clear. When Nicodemus came to him. A guy super wise came to him and said. Man tell me what is this? And he said man you got to get this. To get in this kingdom you have to be born again. Because a baby didn't do anything to get in that family. A baby was born into the family. And a good parent doesn't love that baby because the baby never has a messy diaper. A good parent loves that baby because they were born in their house. So what happens in your own life is you've got to get back to the place Where when the devil starts reminding you of all of your insecurities, you wave your birth certificate in his face. That may or may not be true. I may or may not have done. Yeah, but you fell. Yeah, but I'm going to get back up. Why are you going to get back up? My dad said I could. Because it was not your good deeds that positioned you for success. It was The birthright. Somebody say birthright. It's a total shift. So I'm going to give you four keys really quickly. 
four keys really quickly on how to put a nail in it and truly silence the cynics. I'm talking about 2019 being the freest year of your life. I'm talking about where you get so free, you're witnessing to people that you've never met. You're witnessing to people that you have met. You're, you're loving people and pointing them to Christ just by, just by it flowing out of you. You're not even having to bite your tongue like you've had to bite your tongue the last 10 years because you stop caring what people think. You stop caring how intelligent somebody thinks you are. So you stop qualifying all of your sentences to them. When they're talking to you, you'll be able to stop uh, trying to interject or interrupt them to make sure they know they're not telling you something that you don't already know because of how insecure you are and how you want them to think that you are more intelligent than them. I'm talking about freedom. I'm talking about where you go to a whole nother level, dare I say new heights. And you just get completely free of this stuff. Because the moment you get free, now you're free to love. And the moment you're free to love, now all of a sudden Christ can flow out of you like a river unfettered. Because you, you stop, you stop deciding who you are going to give grace to based off the level that they have wronged you. <laughs> you just start giving grace. Well, what if they never know what they did? Good. Maybe they won't be in bondage to it. What if you forgave your ex-husband today? Like for real. You don't know what he did to me. I know they nailed Jesus to a tree, stripped him naked, whipped him, made his back look like ribbons, called him all kind of names. And some of the last words recorded out of his holy mouth before he died was, dad, forgive these people. I've never been nailed to a tree. See, it's love that silences the cynics for real. This whole thing hangs on love. This whole thing. And I don't know what you've been taught. Maybe you've been in church your whole life. And they kept giving you these 10-step programs to get closer to God. And there's a lot of truth in that. There's a lot of truth in the discipleship side of it. There's a lot of things. But all of it hangs on love. Because if we get in here and get so close to God that we can't tell the difference between heaven and earth, but we miss the world, we will not have accomplished what he sent his son to accomplish through us. We will have failed at the calling on our life and another generation will have to come before Jesus comes back. But the minute the church begins to say, you know what, I'm just not going to judge. There was a lady caught in the act of adultery. Even when you say that, it like almost sounds poetic, but that's a pretty bad thing to get caught doing. My first question is, and they drug her out in the street and they were about to kill her with rocks. That's what stoning means. Kill her with rocks. My first question is, where's the guy? Because if she's supposed to die, he ought to die too. But that wasn't the way it was then. So they're about to kill her. And they look at Jesus all pompous and arrogant. 
And they say, the law says that she should be stoned. What do you say? Doesn't that sound holy? Jesus draws in the dirt for a second. Because just because somebody asks you a question, that doesn't mean you have to answer it. Some of you can get free if you'll just stop taking the bait of the conversation they want to debate you with. I'm not here to debate you. What are you here for? Love people and point them to Christ. Yeah, but what do you think about that? I don't think about it much. But what about, what about this? What, what if they say this about me? What if they don't? I've found that most people don't talk about people that do nothing. But anybody that does something is going to have somebody talk about them. So Jesus is just writing in the, the dirt. And there's this girl that's about to be killed with a bunch of rocks. By a bunch of religious zealots that are saying, God wants you dead. The devil is a liar. About to kill her. And Jesus says, I say this. Anybody that hasn't sinned should throw the first stone. One by one, her accusers' hands began to sweat. And they dropped their rocks and walked away. And there was only one stone left, the building block that was rejected that became the cornerstone of the whole new world. And what's very interesting is all the other men who are going to kill her were immediately proven to be unauthorized and the one who was authorized to kill her set her free he who is without sin he is the sinless son of God what he was saying is I could kill you but I'm here to give you life and life more abundant do you see how it's not some love it's all love like you can't go wrong with love. You can't, you can't go too far with love. So as we silence the cynics, it comes with love. Open your Bible to Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. Going to do this real quick. It's a lot heavier message than I thought it was going to be, by the way. Hebrews 10 and 23. Let us hold unswervingly, put it in King James up there. Let us hold fast our profession of faith, not wavering, because he is faithful. For he is faithful that promised. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. Number one, if you're going to silence the cynics, you have to hold on. There's a song we used to sing. It said, just hold on. Our God will show up and take you through the fire again. Sometimes you just got to hold on. Somebody say, hold on. Hold on. Matter of fact, I just want to tell you something. Five years from now, you're going to have to hold on. <laughs> Ten years from now, you're going to have to hold on. You say, well, what if that happens? What if that happens? I'm just going to tell you, here's the key. You're going to have to hold on. Hold on to what? Your profession. What's your profession of? Your profession of faith. Stop professing what you're seeing and start professing what you want to see. 
You've got to hold on to your profession of faith. You got, you can't let go of it. You got a prodigal son. You got a prodigal daughter that's out there doing God knows what. Don't be calling things that are. Start calling things that are not as if they already were. You got to hold on to your profession of faith. You say, my marriage is on the rock. So why don't you start calling your marriage into success? Why don't you hold on with all that you have? Why don't you decide that he's the author and the finisher of your faith and refuse to let this thing go? You're going to have to hold up. You're going to silence the cynics. The cynics are going to show up tenfold and you're still going to have to hold on. Hold on to your profession of faith. Unwavering. That means I'm not relenting. I already decided I'm not quitting before I got to this moment. When will you stop? When I skip across through heaven's beautiful pearly gate and I see those eyes of fire where there's no need for the sun because the light of that great city is the Lord Jesus Christ. That's when I will stop holding on. And when we get there, we will ever be with the Lord. You got to decide to hold on. How long am I holding on? Indefinite. If you're going to silence the cynics, you got to hold on. And and look, you're going to catch yourself. Matter of fact, you're probably catching yourself a lot more in the middle and after this series than you were catching yourself before. You got to you got to start catching yourself early when those cynical thoughts start coming. When you start having cynical thoughts about somebody else, you got to start catching yourself early and you've got to change that confession and profession and interject the word of God into that thing. And then you've got to hold on to it unwaveringly because the one who said it, the one who said it, the one who promised it, he is faithful. Come on. I didn't say this stuff. He said this stuff. If I said it, we're all in trouble. Half the time I'm up here, I'm just reading the Bible out loud. We don't hold on because because we, we'll never miss the mark. We hold on because the one who promised is faithful. When's Jesus coming back? Not sure. Are you sure he's coming back? Absolutely. Why is that? Because I'm going to hold on. How long? Till he gets here. What if you die? Heaven's not a penalty. How long are you going to hold on? Well, I, 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 haven't, I haven't decided yet. I don't know. You know, if this happens, then I'll serve God. I thought this was going to happen and it didn't happen. Where is God? He's making a way for you where there was no way. He's behind the scenes causing all things to work together for your good. What's he waiting on? He's waiting on you to hold on. Just hold on. Our God will show up. God, I love that. And take you through the fire again. If he did it once, why would you think he won't do it again? If God has ever done anything for you, why don't you just give him a big hand of praise right now? Verse 24. So 23 says we got to hold fast our profession. Verse 24 says, consider one another to provoke unto love and good works. Number two, everybody say provoke. It doesn't say don't provoke people. It says stop provoking them to be angry. And to be frustrated and to be mad at you. Provoke them to good works. One translation says to spur them on. When's the last time you on purpose strategically thought about how can I provoke my wife to good works? I'm not talking about emptying the dishwasher. When's the last time you thought about how can I provoke my husband to good works? I'm not talking about changing the oil in your car. When's the last time you thought about 
how can I spur my children into the way they should go? Because if you're going to silence the cynics, you're going to have to replace those thoughts. You can't just throw the thoughts out. You got to replace it. Because if you just throw something out, the Bible says it'll come back and see if it's swept and clean. If you have not filled that area where those cynical thoughts were, those cynical thoughts will come back and have a place to make residence again. But if you have shifted your cynicism into provoking people into good works, now all of a sudden you're encouraging one another. You're loving one another. You're building each other up. You're making sure that that, that your life group, uh, uh, your family of choice is built up. You're encouraging each other. When you walk into church and somebody's sitting in your chair, you don't give them the evil eye. Don't they know? I remember one time I was at church, wasn't here, long, long time ago. Long, long time ago in a city far, far away. I was there and we had a guest minister coming in and there was real specific instructions that the doors couldn't be opened for a certain amount of time because they had to set stuff up and it was whatever. And there was somebody at the door that was, that was, you know, asked to, uh, you know, make sure the door, and I don't envy this guy, okay? It was not a fun job for him. But they said, uh, you know, make sure nobody comes in. So this young man is standing, it wasn't me, this young man is standing there. Some of y'all were like, I wonder if he was the young man. I'm still a young man. Anyway, sitting there, the guy's sitting there and, and, and there's literally, there's hundreds of people trying to get in. And as they're trying to get in, no, we're not trying to get in. They're just waiting on the door to open. And, and all of a sudden this lady comes up and she'd been living for God for like 784 years. You know what I'm talking about? Her Bible's like this big, you know, she's got, got every note she's ever written in her whole life stuffed in the Bible. It's all ring. I mean, she's a saint. She loves God. Ain't no doubt about it. And she walks up to that young man and she says, um, excuse me. And he says, oh, Miss so-and-so, I, I am so sorry. I'm, I'm, I was told that, that I'm not supposed to open this door till, you know, such and such time. And she said, well, I'm so glad you were told that. But you're going to open that door for me because I've been living for God. I've been this. And she went on this whole list of accolades. And I thought, man. And, and I, watched, I watched the young man just go like this. He hung his head. And he opened that door (laughs) and she went in there. She laid her stuff down where she was going to sit and she came back out and, you know, it just, it totally destroyed that young man for a few minutes. And I thought, here we are with an opportunity to provoke to good works and we're prodding in the other way. And then you wonder why people are cynical about church. Because we let the world's goofy stuff get in here and then everybody acts like it's the world. Oh, you don't think that's the way it is in the world? Walk into a movie theater with reserved seats and sit in somebody else's seat. You'll find out it's not just in church. We act like it's in church because the devil wants everybody to think it's church because he wants everybody cynical about church. Church is just filled with people and people fall, even Christians fall seven times. 
We need Christians provoking people to get back up and not pointing at them while they're down. Can you believe they did that? Oh my God. You know, after 25 years of marriage, I can't believe. Well, what if we provoked them to good works? How many cynical thoughts would fall? How free would you be if you did, if you weren't plagued with the responsibility of judging others? Did you hear what so-and-so did? No, and I don't want to. Why? Because I'd rather just provoke them to good works. I had a friend of mine not long ago that really did something. Something really happened. If I knew your story, I'd tell yours right now. When I heard about it, first thing I did was pick up the phone and I said I just want you to know details aside I'm your friend I love you God loves you he hasn't left you he's not going to leave you he refused to do it he has a plan for your life but but I did all this I know that and I'm not saying it was right because that'd be nonsense too but I want you to know I'm your friend Here's one, Billy Graham, one of the greatest evangelists that ever lived. What's that, what's that Baker's name? Uh, Baker. Jim Baker. Jim Baker, a Christian, has a television show now. He spent some time in prison. Was married to Tammy Faye Baker before. He spent some time in prison, did some things he shouldn't have done. Best everybody can tell anyway. When he came out, I don't know all the details of this, but somebody close enough to know told me this, that Billy Graham had him picked up from prison. Bought him an apartment for a year. Filled his closet and his pantry so they wouldn't have lack. And two days out of prison, sat him on the front row right next to him at a Billy Graham crusade so the world would know that Billy Graham doesn't give up on people. Everybody say provoke. Now, what do you think would motivate somebody to love Jesus more? If the Reverend Billy Graham had shunned him and grabbed some rocks with everybody else? Or if he'd have said, you know what, I'm not going to throw the first one. Matter of fact, I'm going to throw the first grace. Verse 25. Running out of time, folks. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner, as the manner of some is but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. Number three, stay faithful. Number one, you got to hold fast. Number two, provoke to good works. Number three, you stay faithful. You want to you you get insecurities off the table? Stay faithful. Isn't it interesting that the Bible says the devil goes about like a roaring lion, 
don't know about you. I've watched plenty of the Discovery Channel. I know how a lion hunts. And he said basically he goes about. He hunts like a lion. And the lion's looking for the weak, the wounded, and the sick. Particularly those that are by themselves. They don't go for the, the gazelle that's in the middle of the herd running with the rest of them. They go for the one limping on the sidelines saying, Oh, they always leaving me. All of a sudden it's by itself. And the way those lions hunt, the way the devil hunts. He's just trying to cut you out of the pack. So he can get his claws in you. Everybody says stay faithful. You got to stay faithful. Let me tell you some of the things that can happen. You, you, can, get, you can get so busy that church becomes a side item of your life. It says don't forsake. It says don't stop getting together with believers. Don't stop getting in your life group. It can be life and death for you. The assembling together. Sunday morning ought to be set in stone for you. And if possible, Wednesday night. If your church has a Wednesday night. Our church does. But Sunday morning, we're about to do Saturday night. It ought to be set in stone. Period. Till Jesus comes back, I know where I'll be. I'll be in the house of Almighty God. Why? Because I'm not going to forsake the assembling together. As is the manner of some. If I had a nickel for every person that comes to this church, gets healed, and then has got to get healed of the same stuff because they stop being faithful, they end up getting back out there separated again. The devil starts beating them up. Now they got to get set free of the same junk. Well, you can be a Christian and, and you know, be in the woods on Sunday morning. You can be in a garage, but that don't make you a car. You can be in a kitchen, but that don't make you a sandwich. I'm getting hungry. But you don't forsake the, the, the gathering of ourselves together. You don't forsake. Listen. You got to get in the house of God. You got to get rebuilt. Refueled. You got to get edified. You need the word of God poured over your ears. Your faith's got to get built up. The Bible said faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. You've got to get in the presence of God because where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. You get free in this place. You get built up in faith. You get encouraged. You say, well, all my problems don't go away. I still got my problems Monday morning. Yeah, but instead of walking out defeated, you walk out with a sling and a stone ready to fight your giants. Don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together. That's talking about ourselves, the scripture said. One translation says our meetings. Let me tell you, there's a lot of things that will vie for your time. A lot of extracurricular activities. If you got a kid the day they're born, let's just average it to 50. 50 Sundays a year. You got 900 Sundays before they turn 18. If they're nine, you got 450. How many of those are you willing to give up for the sake of maybe they get a scholarship in soccer? Galatians chapter 4. I'm not your enemy because I tell you the truth. Stop risking your kid's spiritual future for something that is so temporary. I'm not picking on soccer. It could be baseball, basketball, music, dance, uh, play. 
whatever, if it's taking you consistently out of the house of almighty God, when else are you getting it in them? But be honest. Be honest. Don't be like, well, I can always get it in. And I say, when? What other thing did God facilitate for people to find and experience himself and life in this earth rather than the church, which he said he is coming back for? Don't risk your family. Don't risk your future. Oh, well, if if I, you know what, if I work seven days a week and it's only a two-year contract, you're telling me you're going to give up 100 weekends under the anointed word of Almighty God for some kind of a money thing? You think God can't open the windows of heaven over your life and pour out blessings you don't have room enough to receive when you're faithful? If you can't trust him with your money, why would you trust him with your soul? (laughs) Matt's like, oh gosh. He's like, it's not Wednesday, pastor. I know. Look. You got to stay faithful. Like, if you want to max this thing out in God, you got to stay faithful. You got to stay faithful. I can't think of anything in my life that's been more influential than being in the house of God on a consistent basis. Well, you're a preacher. I've only been a preacher six years, a pastor six years. And I'm still a businessman. Still an investor. Still do projects on the regular. Follow me around. I don't sleep that much. you got to stay faithful yeah but the coach said that if I would do this it would take them to this level what's their soul look like what's their spirit look like I got three kids I could kick them out of an airplane right now with a parachute and I know they'd win a city seven ten and 12 because we keep them faithful well they didn't want to come they live in your house eat your bread it ain't their choice oh well you don't understand I was hurt in church you might have stubbed your toe in Walmart's parking lot but you still shop there Is this too much for a Sunday morning? (laughs) Faithful. Somebody say faithful. I'm talking about faithful. I'm talking about though he slay me, yet will I serve him. He'll never slay you, by the way. But that's the attitude. Oh, you're going to get thrown in the fire if you don't bow. Great. Y'all remember Doubting Thomas? I hate that title. How would you like to be labeled for your worst day? What would your adjective be? Lying Billy. 
He had a bad day. But nobody ever talks about the fact that right before Jesus goes and heals Lazarus, raises him from the dead, excuse me, all the disciples that were with Jesus, they thought they were going to go die because everybody in Bethany where Lazarus was, they wanted to kill Jesus. All the religious zealots wanted to kill Jesus. And so when they said it, they're like, Jesus, they're going to kill us if we go there. And Jesus is like, well, we're going. And Thomas goes, fine. Let's go die with him. Why don't we call him faithful, Thomas? If we're going to judge him off of one moment, I'd rather choose that moment. See how we're silencing the cynics? Has everything to do with in your moment, in your life's moment, can you hold fast your profession? Can you replace those cynical thoughts and comments with a provoking people to good works? And last point I'm going to make today, and we're closing with this. Can you stay faithful? 900 Sundays. It's a little more than that at 52. But I, we still want you, and I think it's wise, go on vacation, all that other stuff. But if you just average it out, 50, 900. If they're nine, you got 450 left. If they're 17, you got 50. If you commit to something that takes five Sundays a year, that's 10% of your year. That's 10% of what you have left. What what else in your life could you afford to give 10% away? Would you chop 10% off of your house? And risk it? 10 Sundays, 25 Sundays. You say, oh, it's not all about going to church. No, but that's the word of God we're reading from. Don't forsake the gathering together. Why? It's all for your benefit. Your faith increases. You build lifelong relationships with believers that are going to think the best in you when you don't think the best in yourself. You're going to see God's hand move on a regular basis. And when you see God's hand move, it reminds you that he'll do it again. Even if it's not happening for you, you see it happening to somebody else, you go, he's not a respecter of person. My time's coming. Things begin to shift as you silence the cynics. I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If you did, there are a couple of things that I'd love for you to do. Number one, subscribe to our show. That way, the most recent episodes will always be in your feed waiting for you, ready when you are. And secondly, follow us on social media. That is the best way to stay up to date on everything happening at New Heights. We look forward to you joining us next time on the New Heights podcast. And if you are ever in the Bryan College Station area, we invite you to come out to New Heights Church for a live service. I promise we'll make you feel right at home.